I would love to see America and other countries, their governments offer education specific to women and minorities. It could be online. And if you take some tutorial classes on how to purchase finance a business, it helps you to understand how to prepare yourself. It would be what I'm teaching, but our governments would provide it to our minority populations. And once they pass a test at the end, then they get a discount perhaps, you know, through the government or some kind of stimulus to help them rise above so we can level the playing field for men, women, and all the minority populations for equal economy running together all our cylinders when all of our cylinders run together we just become stronger faster and more diverse and that's where the beauty is in life that's the way it was meant to be welcome to the boomer woman's podcast i'm your host agnes knowles boomer women are we wise women? Are we mavens? Are we crones? Hell yeah. And we're also still curious, fun-loving, interesting, the list goes on. This podcast is for you. My guests are folk who have a message for our demographic. And if you want to hear a specific message, let me know and I'll find the guests. This podcast is also a conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. I try and let my guests have the greater say, and usually we fit in a good laugh or two. Listen in now to today's guest. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. As boomer women, most of us have stories of being passed by for a promotion that went to a man, of being treated condescendingly as we discussed advancement, or, and this one's my favorite, asked to get coffee for a male boss. Now, I'm a white waspy woman with a Canadian accent. I can only imagine how much more difficult it is for a woman of color or a woman with an accent less Canadian than mine. My guest today was actually told her company didn't promote women. Yeah, she was kind of pushy, so the male bosses gave her a chance, and she outperformed all the other managers, the white male managers. So she got her promotion. Do we need to ask if she was paid the same as similarly positioned men? Unfortunately, no. That career lasted 30 years, and today Deb supports other women in starting their own businesses. Deb works closely with the Small Business Administration in the U.S., so part of her work will not apply to listeners elsewhere. For that reason, we're going to talk some generalities and some deeper specifics unrelated to the SBA. Deb Curtis, welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. Oh, well, thank you, Agnes. That was a very... Very well welcome. Um, Just listening (laughs) to that, it's like, oh my gosh, that's it it, to me. It just it hits home because there was a lot of hurt (laughs) over the that time. (laughs) And I think you know, especially as I age, I find that uh, you you look back and say, "You've come a long way, baby." (laughs) You know it. You said it right. I have come a long way, baby. I think a lot of us, a lot of us have, and. 
we're not alone. That is one thing for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Deb, I want to mention right up front that we aren't here to slam men. This Correct. is about empowering women. You know it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I totally agree. I'm not here uh, to bash any demographic. What I do want to celebrate is unity and diversity and raising the level and improving uh, and all, with all of our weaknesses in, in all of our countries, I mean, I, this is a worldwide path that we want to be on, and we've been on this path for a long time. I think we've come a ways, Agnes, but we still have work to do, as we do in many, many areas. So, yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay, let's jump right in. Gender discrimination. You, you have several examples. Can you share one and how you overcame it? Yes. The, the, the very first one was my first professional career of 18 years. I grew up in, in a family, a divorce situation, and we were very poor. And my dad, uh, over time, earned custody of me uh, after my mom abandoned me. He worked full time and part time uh, trying to make ends meet. And uh, I, I remember the days of rationalizing our milk. We would purchase real milk in the gallon, but then there, I still see it to this day in my mind, the uh, red carnation, red and white box of powdered milk. I don't know if you remember that, but I sure do. Yep, it sat on our kitchen counter and we would mix a quarter milk with the three quarters powdered milk and water to make it go longer. Cause in the seventies, late seventies, it was a tough time. I mean, we're in high interest rates today, but they were much higher back then. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, I, I'm a Gen Xer. My uh, father was a very, you know, elderly baby boomer. And I don't know how they did it, but he reminded me when he was alive, his mortgage interest rate on the home that we lived in was 18%, which was for good credit people. 18%. So anyhow, um, I went to high school, walked to school while my dad worked two jobs, wasn't granted the opportunity to go to a university, which is costly, whether your parents pay for it, uh, or if you obtain student loans here in America. And my dad did not want to take on that responsibility to co-sign for a student loan, and he didn't have the money to put me through school. So that first job of mine, I started out as a customer service rep, Agnes, and my daddy always taught me, if you work hard, you, you can climb the corporate ladder and they will take care of you. And that first job, they did take care of me as far as benefits and, and, and I learned so much in the 18 years that I worked there. What I learned the most was when it came time to ask for a promotion, that's when I started to see how important, number one, a university degree on your resume at that time was. And then that's when I started to see in the early 90s, the difference between promoting women and men. Because back then, Agnes, we still were in this state of, you know, mom, a woman's going to take care of the kids. She can't take on a promotion. She's the mom of the household. Dad is the breadwinner. And at that time, my husband, and he was, and he still is the breadwinner. And it will always be that way. But I think we've come a long way decades later. Okay. So 
I'll pause for a minute to see if you have any questions before I move forward. <laughs> no, what you reminded me of, though, was just the fact that, you know, when I started, I did manage to go to university because in 1971, tuition rates were way lower. Oh, my. but yeah, but I can also remember being asked, do you have any plans to get pregnant? Because sure. that would have determined whether I got a promotion or even the job because yeah. they didn't want you skipping out after a few years to, to make a baby. Right. So, and, and, you know, you're right back then. And I share this on other podcasts that I'm on back then. And it was, that was a norm. You employers could ask that question and, and there was no thought about that. This is unfair. We just kind of lived with it. And that's, that's what it was. But over time with that position, I kept pushing for the promotion because as an assistant manager, I was doing the same work as the managers and the managers were all men. And when I asked for the promotion, they had told me two reasons why they wouldn't promote me. As you mentioned with the credits before the show, I'm a woman, number one. And number two, I didn't have that college education on my resume. So I didn't become disgruntled. I just thought I have to figure out a way to make this happen because if I want to get promoted in my career, either I got to go to school and get that education or I need to get a promotion. So I positively remained persistent. And finally, they thought this girl isn't going to go away because I still worked hard, worked overtime, had new babies. Uh, I can tell you stories about giving birth to my first child uh, in 1991. And maternity leave at that time was whatever sick time or vacation time I had accumulated. So I took all I had. And then my husband and I wanted to have a second baby. And that was a year and a half later at the same company. And again, maternity leave for a mom was sick time accumulated or vacation. And at that point, I had nothing really left. It was a year and a half later. So I gave birth to my second baby and I was back in two weeks because I couldn't afford uh, to not work because if I stayed home, I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> and I kept working hard because at that point I was promoted, but without any more pay than my male counterparts, my male peers. They promoted me, which was what I wanted on my resume to help me move up the corporate ladder, so to speak, throughout different companies. And I just had to live with it and accept it, Agnes. It, it, it was what it was and everybody knew. But here's the good news. I paved the path in that company and they were a very well-known company and, and they still are today. I paved the path for other women to be promoted. I was the first one, I feel like a pioneer all these decades later, that I helped open up the door for other women. And um, I believe we've done better where the pay scales are somewhat closer than what they were back then. I still think there's more room, but we, we've come a long way. So that was job one, right? So then I decided to tour uh, toward other employers, which were banks. And I was introduced to 
small businesses and, and helping them with loans and, and helping them with their banking needs. And that was yet another very strong male dominated industry. Think back when you were a little girl going with your daddy to the bank, usually the president and all of the officers were all, you know, corporate men with their ties and all that. So uh, I worked for many various banks and all my bosses were men. Some were very helpful in teaching and training me, which I look at that as my education. You can't get that kind of education one-on-one -on -one at a university that I did working for the president of the bank. But it was a challenge again, because the, the guys would entertain you know, the, the, the clients of the bank and do all quote unquote guy things, you know, and, and you, you, we all remember that. And it still happens today. Uh, they, they take out clients and they do guy things, go to football games. I'll tell you what, I love football games. I go to a football game anytime. <laughs> so it, it still was the same Agnes throughout my career. I learned a lot. I, I witnessed a lot of good supervisors and not so good supervisors that treated me very much differently simply because of being the woman now with a, a family of three daughters needing to get home when they're sick right daycare calls your child has a fever over 100 degrees i gotta i gotta get out of here and and i know that was hard for them to accept it's reality though, and that's not gonna go away. Our babies are always going to be sick and they're always going to need us. And I think we've changed where men are taking over more and sharing in taking care of the kids when they're sick. But my 30 years, it was never easy. I could tell you other stories, but I'm not here to talk about the negative. What I am here to share with you, Agnes, is that the hurts of my past and, and the tears in my car driving home from work feeling less than and and feeling dismissed just because of being a woman um, i turned that around into my small business and i've created solutions where i support women who feel the same way and are younger than me and perhaps they're looking for what that other opportunity may be that's what i want to do that's what i've been called for so what was that process from going from, you know, even a, a management level, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, employee to deciding, now i got to create my own business? Mm -hmm. Well, the good news is the positions that I was in, I would work for various banks that offered business loans to small business owners through, in America, the SBA, as you mentioned earlier. And it's similar in other countries where every bank has their own credit guidelines. If you purchase finance a home, some banks have a little more lenient guidelines to approve you and others don't. It's the same with business lending. If you want a business loan, some banks may be a little bit more lenient on an industry and others may not like a certain industry. And a lot of it is driven by today's market. Uh, a lot of it's driven by uh, you know, the industries that are trying to survive in certain markets, 
think of COVID 2020, banks were saying no to all restaurants that needed money because they were shut down and closed. So as times change, the lending criteria changed with all the banks. And I was fortunate enough, along with my peers, if the bank I was working for said, no, we can't help this client out, I had the right on a part-time basis um, to have my own LLC, which, which was my business, to try to find a different bank and help my client. Now, not all lenders would take it to that to the end zone, so to speak, or to the, or what do they call it? The red zone in football, where you're just about to go in for the touchdown. Some lenders wouldn't help that client further. They would just move on and say, I can't help you. I was always the one who would say, well, we couldn't help you at this bank, but I know this bank will. And so I would farm that loan package to another bank. They would pay me a referral fee, but I had to split that referral fee with the bank that I was working for. That, that was the exception to the rule. So doing that on a part-time basis created my business. And over time, I realized every loan place I was working for, whether it was being treated differently and, and not getting that better rate because maybe they gave it to my male counterparts who were top performers and, and cherry picked and did the largest loans they could find where Deb likes to help everybody. So she'll do a $500,000 loan where the rest might do only million dollar loans. I just have a heart to help everybody. So that part time creation of my LLC, which is my business today, full time, helped catapult me to leave corporate completely. And now I help clients and farm out those loans on my own at any of the banks. <laughs> and many of them are who I worked for in the past. How ironic is that? <laughs> As you were describing that, I'm thinking like, why would you want to share your finder's fee, whatever you want to call it, with yeah. an organization that had already said no to this client. Thank you. <laughs> so. you're, you're spot on with your thoughts. We, all of us lenders thought the same, but boy, if they found out that you did not give them their fair share, you were um, going to be let go immediately. So and it, it is what it is, but now I have the freedom um, to be me 100% and not have to worry about climbing that corporate ladder because I pulled my own ladder out now and it's my own ladder to climb. And the best part, Agnes, I know there are women out there today that are feeling this dismissal, uh, disparate treatment, whether direct or indirect, because sometimes it's it can be indirect, but it hurts just as much. And I'm able to help them. I feel like my clients today are who I was years prior and I see that in them and now I get to help them catapult and pull out their own ladder and acquire an established business that's already working they just they're, they're promoting themselves to CEO of a business and speaking of baby boomers the name of your show here that are primarily owned by baby boomers because 11,000 baby boomers are retiring per day <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to get into that a yeah. bit later. So yeah. now, now what women is obvious, 
um, minorities. Mm-hmm. Where did that whole morph Yeah. Come? So I, I want your listeners to know that, that Deb does practice unity and diversity, and I would never turn down a man. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will help anybody, okay? Uh, but I do want to help educate women and people of color simply because throughout my 30-year journey of corporate, Uh, It wasn't just women that struggled, it was also people of color that struggled too. Uh, And I'm not, I'm not here to point fingers or it just, it is what it is. And the number one applicant today in America to purchase finance these baby boomer established small businesses happens to be my old bosses, that white corporate male that climb the ladder easily because it was known in the 70s 80s and 90s that the man always was the one to just shoot up that ladder and um getting out of corporate now being on the other side i can share with you that a lot of the disparate treatment was internal in these banks with employees but what happened because it was internal some not all, some of the front lenders delivered disparate treatment with small business owners that applied. Remember I mentioned earlier, some lenders would cherry pick what loan size, what type of applicant that they only wanted to work with. And uh, there are regulations in place in America that are supposed to be followed and they say they are, but they lack. We lack, we lack in, monitoring the front end, ensuring that fair and equal treatment is there for everyone. So that is on my heart as well, to change the narrative in a positive fashion, that we need fair and equal treatment for everybody, no matter your gender, no matter your skin color, because we all have the same beating red heart inside of our body. And we all want to rise above and be the best that we can be and we want to learn more importantly we want to learn and we have to do a better job country to country just teaching others how to get there if i would have known agnes what i know today 10 years ago i would probably own a couple of small businesses that were previously baby boomer owned and they have great employees that run the show, they just need me to just stand by and maybe check in once in a while, that would be my portfolio. But nobody taught me that 10 years ago and they didn't send you to school to a university to learn this. (laughs) So I get to do that today. I'm not a university, but boy, I'll teach. and, And that's on my heart to teach everybody how to get there, especially women in our minority population. A couple of thoughts come to mind there is, first of all, you talked about monitoring the, mm-hmm. the bank cylinders. Often monitoring can only be done with whistleblowers. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot of gumption to be a whistleblower because it really could, you know, take you from one level and just plummet you down to the bottom of, of a qualification ladder. Yeah. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's difficult. It is difficult. Yes. I would like to add you're right, it's called a whistleblower and it puts a target on your back. Um, I tend to change the definition of a whistleblower to a voice of reason. 
I think it sounds better to me and that, and, but everyone calls it a whistleblower. And I was a voice of reason trying to explain that we need to work on quality versus quantity and fair and equal treatment versus just numbers. But that didn't fare so well with many of, um, uh, of the companies. And that's kind of normal in corporate. I'm, I'm sure many would agree. Uh, hopefully that will change, Agnes. Hopefully that will change. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of minorities and minority women, you know, there's a myriad of com- or countries out there, developing countries, where when a woman actually secures a business loan, can start her own business, her entire community benefits. Yeah. So, you know, it just stands to reason that it's, it's going to happen here too. <laughs> yes. I would love to see you know, America and other countries, their governments offer uh, education specific to women and minorities, whereas it could be online. And if you take some tutorial classes on how to purchase finance a baby boomer owned business, it, it helps you to understand how to prepare yourself. It would be what I'm teaching, but our governments would provide it to our minority populations. And once they pass a test at the end, then they get a discount perhaps, you know, through the government or some kind of stimulus to help them rise above so we can level the playing field for men, women, and all the minority populations for equal economy running together, all our cylinders when all of our cylinders run together, we just become stronger, faster, and more diverse. And that's where the beauty is in life. That's the way it was meant to be. Yeah. Sounds like you have one more career ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thank now I mentioned, I mentioned we weren't going to get too deep into the SBA. Right. But could you just tell our listeners a little bit about it so that you know if if they're looking within their own country they know what might be available if they go looking for it i think that's really insightful for you to ask because i have spoken other countries and i share about the sba in america what it does and then they take this information to some of their you know political leaders or whoever their leaders are in their countries so the sba in america stands for small business administration And it's an affiliate of the American government, whereas they offer to all those banks that do small business lending, as I mentioned earlier, my my career journey was with different banks, different big banks, middle-sized banks, community banks. I was with all different kinds of size banks in America. They all did business lending with their own credit policies, which were all different. Well, if you think of buying a business that's established and profitable and 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 um, operating successfully, there's really no tangible collateral with when you buy a business because you're buying the name that has intangible value, but it's it's uncollateralized. We also call that blue sky. It's just There's no value to the bank, but there's value to the buyer because they don't have to work three to five years to build up this big name. 
the employees that are seasoned that that that's called intangible value so the sba the affiliate of our government tells all the banks hey banks if you help sustain small businesses in america that are established money making giving back to the communities creating employment in all of the markets that they operate in if you give loans to these small businesses and to the people that want to buy so the baby boomer can sell and retire and we don't lose that small business we retain it and nobody loses their jobs we sba will guarantee that loan that you the bank do for the business up to 75% of the loan balance if the business should fail. That's huge. So what did that do when they put this affiliate of the American government in place? That opened up banks to say, okay, we'll do lending. We'll borrow that money if the government's going to pay us 75% if the loan goes bad, right? So um, that is what keeps the small business economy in, in the United States sustainable because we're retaining these baby boomed legendary businesses that we've all come to know and love and we just keep growing them. We want them to keep donating to our children's high school projects, you know, stuff like that. If we lose the small business touch in our countries, I don't want to just rely on big corporations. I, I love the small business feel. We need we need the chain of big and small to keep our world spinning round and round. I hope that made sense. Did that make sense to you? What the yeah, SBA it does. does. It actually covers off something else I was going to ask you. I will add as an aside that um, preparing for our, our chat today, yeah. um, I did go into my search engine. I don't use Google, but into my search engine and I just put in small business administration. And the very second choice that came up, obviously the SBA came up first, very second choice was something similar in Canada. So if listeners are elsewhere and they just go, you know, like either small business administration or monetary help for or loans for small business purchase or something like that, I'm sure something will come up. Oh, yeah. And I know even in America here, a lot of times like our states or our townships or communities, they even have small business grants, and I'm sure other countries do as well to um, keep small businesses in the the states or the or the counties or the townships or the cities. Sometimes Google can be a best friend to any of you in the world that are a small business owner to find out in your market area where the business operates what kind of grants are available and what a grant is. It's an economic loan that if the business does certain things like generate you know three new full-time employment positions over the next three years or stay operating in a downtown area of a certain township because it's struggling to keep businesses downtown if you pass what these grants want you to do they forgive the money that they gave to you i mean my daddy always taught me, if you can find free money, go get it. <laughs> and that's free money if you can generate employment, if you can 
prove that you can keep the business running, that's good. So always be nosing around is my advice and asking a lot of questions to so many people to help direct you where to go. Well, and I don't know if it's similar, but I give similar advice to young people who, you know, they're going into university and they're looking for that $20,000 scholarship. Whereas there are apparently literally hundreds, if not thousands of smaller grants, loans, bursaries, whatever you want to call them, that they go unclaimed every year because nobody, oh, it's only $1,000. That's not going to get me very far. But if no one else is applying, you're going to get it and do that 20 times and you got your $20,000. Right on. So good, good, good feedback, Agnes. I like that. Yeah. And there are plenty of them out there and you are right. They go where no one even applied for them. That's free money. My daddy always loved free money. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Oh dear. Okay. So business acquisition then obviously, Mm -hmm. and we've touched on this and it's probably self-explanatory, but I want to dig a little deeper is you're buying an existing business Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. opposed to starting your own. Yeah. Right. So a couple of questions here now is, does that mean brick and mortar? Yes, it's brick and mortar, and it it can be an online remote business as well. Basically, what it means is that a business acquisition is already operating, and it's been established for at least two years or more. The greater the time, you know, five years is a good mark, in my opinion, you've that's a good mark that the business should sustain if you were to purchase finance it similar to purchase financing a home so the when you transfer in as the new owner and if everything keeps operating as is the income that the business historically generated after all of its expenses are paid that profit the bottom line tells the underwriter that there's enough income to pay for that bank loan project for the buyer to acquire that business so that's pretty pretty good (laughs) because in addition the expenses that are in between the revenues and the bottom line there's an officer salary that the current owner is paying himself so in some cases if you want to buy a business and exit corporate corporate in, in Canada or in, in America, right? If you want to exit, that owner's salary today would be transferred to you. And there's still sufficient income, net profits at the bottom line to pay for the price of the business that you're acquiring, plus additional working capital the banks will give you for payroll and short term operating expenses. I, uh, joke around, I, I said, wouldn't it be nice if we could purchase finance a home that, that could generate income and just pay the mortgage for us? <laughs> Doesn't happen though, yeah, unless yeah. it's an investment property, right? <laughs> that, that Then it's possible. <laughs> okay, but, so, yeah. so if, um, if we're buying an existing business that has a good history of revenue, put it that way. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that the runway for the new buyer to get up and really functioning at a high level is, is a lot shorter than I take it? Oh, yes. And think of it this way. If you're a bank underwriter and I come to you, I have this idea in my head. It's what started out as a hobby and now I want to make it a business. 
and I want to borrow some money, well, I'm not going to be generating those net profits at the bottom until those revenues are happening. And that takes time to build it up. There's a lot of expenses in between for marketing, for for inventory, for product. I mean, there's a lot that has to be spent to earn the top line revenues that will give you the bottom line profits. So startups, brand new startups are typically harder to get approved at a bank because there's risk in the first two to three years. If you can't make it in the first two to three years, it, your shop is going to close because you're struggling to earn an income. If you can make it past those two to three years, generally you're starting to earn an income. So businesses that sell and typically they sell because they've been operating for five years, 10 years, baby boomer businesses. Some of them are operating for 20 years or greater. They have proven a business operation model that works not only with loyal customers that are already repeat business, but a team of employees that are already there. And all you have to do is transfer in as the new owner. Where a startup, you know, I think of myself right now, I, I, I'm not a startup, but I'm a solopreneur. I don't have any other help. I do it all myself. But if I grow my business, I will have an expense to pay employees. So now my profits start to diminish because I've got more expenses. And, and that's because it's an early, early stage business. But the greater those businesses are operating, the easier they are for the bank to approve you to purchase finance and establish business because the income is already there. The startup, there isn't any tangible income until maybe year two or year three. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I think you often hear that of like, if you're starting a business, you, you got to plan to carry it for a couple of years before yeah. you start seeing. They call it bootstrapping, I believe, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of boots. Watch Shark Tank. You ever see the show Shark <laughs> Tank? Yes. They, a lot of them mortgage their home, put their life savings into their ideas and risk. There's a lot of risk in startup. But boy, if you purchase finance, a baby boom owned business, that's going to give you much more chances of success than a startup any day. And every underwriter I've ever worked with would much rather approve you for a business acquisition purchase versus a startup. Okay. One more question just about purchasing an existing business. Who or perhaps where in that process is goodwill assessed? In terms yes, that's a great question. And the bank's will have a business valuation done on the business that's selling as part of their credit policy. And that's when the goodwill values are determined. And the third party business valuation experts will, similar to like an appraisal on a home, will look at the competitors. They'll, they'll look at a similar size businesses in the same industry. They look at recent sales. It's, it's similar to a, an appraised value of a home. And they will determine what the goodwill is, otherwise known as, as we talked earlier, intangible assets or the blue sky. And that's where in America, the SBA helps the banks feel better to finance that goodwill. Yeah. Okay. All right. You're talking to boomers. 
we, we, we own these businesses uh-huh. <laughs> and we yeah. are now looking in the next five to eight, maybe 10 years of selling, which is maybe something we didn't consider before. You know, we just thought we love to have this business and it's been going well and we've been successful, mm-hmm. but why close it if we can sell it? What, what do we need to think about? Ooh, it's so good. I love that. And in, in America, we have coached many small business owners that are baby boomers today. And I think of my dad and baby boomers typically in America, they don't like to pay taxes to, to our uncle Sam, right? Nobody wants to pay taxes to the government. So a lot of small business owners would um, hide certain things on their tax returns in the states here to offset that bottom line, not as profitable to avoid having to pay taxes on their income that they were earning. And my advice to any business owner in any country is when you're getting ready to sell, and if that's what you want to do, because it can be a substantial price, if you plan it right, that means you want to report your profits because the profits of your business, the most recent two to three years is is what the bank underwriters are looking at historically to make them feel comfortable that if I come in to run your business, Agnes, and, and, and just let it run gracefully as it did when you were owning it, that income will still be there to make that SBA loan payment or that business acquisition loan payment in, in other countries. So to all of you baby boomers out there, you have time to get these your business prepared. I mean, years ago, if you didn't pay taxes and you didn't report everything, that's fine 10, 20 years ago, but we're talking most recent two to three years, clean it up, perhaps in your market, uh, connect with like an exit planner. You've heard of exit planners, business exit planners. They'll help you get your business in the best shape that a business buyer will pay top dollar for your business because everything is in order. Um, and that's your that's your golden egg. That's your legacy. And you deserve top dollar for it. Um, so be sure you connect with these professional exit planners that can help you prepare your business to sell. It, it doesn't take long. You know, um, it, you may need a good year or two, but time flies. I'm sure many of you have owned your business for 20 years and you're thinking, where did that go? Get it prepared because you'll get top dollar would be my message. Well, I was just thinking as you said that, but this is probably a really good time to do that because, you know, if you suddenly start increasing your your income and your profits or whatever looks on the bottom line mm-hmm. you know whereas instead of flagging hmm, what's going on here it's yeah. post-covid <laughs> right <laughs> oh but look at this my my business boomed after covid <laughs> so there have been a lot of businesses that boomed after covid <laughs> yeah. underwriters know what to look for and, and and if covid was a year which for many where the numbers went down the banks forgive for that i mean we all were in a world of hurt during 2020 so and 2021 but you know just historically what the norm was if you're back to where you were pre covid that's what the underwriter wants to see 
and they will look for that. You will enjoy retirement when you plan to exit preparing your business for an eligible business buyer that will take over your legacy, take care of your employees like you did and your clients. It's tough, Agnes, for some of these baby boomers to walk away from their baby of 20, 30 years. That's hard on some of them. Um, I, I think, think it's in, a big, in, go ahead. I, just say, I think it's a bigger picture too, in terms of you talked about those employees, mm -hmm. you know, to, to make sure you get top dollars. So those people that have been with you for five, 10, 20 years yeah. can still keep working yeah. um, is, is so important. And, you know, we're all getting older you know, we're, we're going to have snow next winter. Like you just don't know if you're going to be the one that collapses with a heart attack in the driveway, oh. shoveling snow, you know, that sort of thing. That's so, right. you know, to really start thinking about it now, even if, even if you don't have that definite, you know, in five years, I'm going to sell. It's yeah. just like, it is, it is a part of your future if you're 60 plus. That's um, right. So like start putting the pieces in place now. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because Often when I was that that business banker working for the banks, I would visit small business owners and one of my bosses um, that was great, he taught me a lot. He always said to me, when you visit a small business owner, don't leave until you ask and make sure you get an answer as to what their succession plan is if something should happen to them. Everybody thinks their exit from a business will be on their terms and, and when they're ready to go, but that doesn't happen. You know, you mentioned shoveling the snow in, in, in the frigid cold and having a heart attack. That happens. And if you're not ready as a business owner, uh, it, it, it's not um, a good place for your loved ones to be in, especially if the spouse doesn't know how to run the business. It, it, it can turn into a, a fire sale real quick and not leave much for the family. So great for you, Agnes, to recognize that and mention that. And, and that would be a call to action as well for your small business listeners to have that succession plan in place. My boss told me to tell you that. So if it's not, get it in place. <laughs> so in terms of uh, a succession plan, should that almost be like put down like a like a will uh power of attorney like you make all those tangible arrangements should yeah. your succession plan be the same i agree yes and people ask me when should i start that planning as soon as you own a business is my answer when you acquire an established business that is part of the underwriting rules, you have to have a succession plan within your business plan of what it's going to look like when you transition in. And then I will always remind business owners, just because you made that business plan with the succession plan in it at time, at time of acquisition, doesn't mean you just put it in the drawer and, and never look at it again. You have to revisit it at least once a year because employees change, life changes, business changes, markets change, and relook at it with a professional advisor experienced in succession planning and exit planning. Get, get the proper help. Um, your loved ones will thank you for that. And that means more to you than anything else. 
yeah, that's a whole other avenue we can go down. And I, I yes, won't. <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay, put on your what is it? Your little red shoes. You're going to click your heels together. You're going to close your eyes, spin about, and wave your magic wand. What does the world look like up the road when gender equity, when equity, period, is a fact of life? What does what does the world business yeah. thing look like? Um, I have, I want to leave a legacy behind and, and I don't know if I'll ever be able to look down and see what's going on in the world. I, I tend to hope so. (laughs) And I tend to hope that all of us, the passions we have for the changes that we wanted to happen truly do happen. What do I want to see is fair and equal treatment where we're there and that my um, granddaughters and and daughters and everybody's families, people of color, minorities, men, all of us are equal across the board. And, and, you know, we all hear about AI and this chat GPT. It would just be wonderful to ask it when it's year 2050. (laughs) Are we living in a world of diversity, equity, inclusion? Are we finally there? And I would love for it to say, yes, we're finally there. And that's what I envision happening. And um, I I hope and pray that I'll be able to see that and and say, I was just a little smidgen part of it. Uh, The voice of reason changing the narrative in a positive fashion. Um, I don't want women, girls, people of color to go on the journey that many of us have been on. I want them to go on on a fair journey of, of climbing corporate ladders and climbing their own company ladders. I, I want it equal for all. Let's just let's just play on everybody's ladders. <laughs> it's the way it should be, right? So that that's my wish. Yeah. Have you heard the story about the person standing at the beach and there's like hundreds of sand dollars on the beach? No, I haven't heard this one. Share. So they're looking at the beach and there's hundreds of sand dollars that are stranded. They need to be in the water. And so this person goes and picks up one and just flings it out into the ocean and picks up another one and flings it out into the ocean. And somebody comes along and says, what are you doing? Like, there's hundreds here. You're never going to be able to save them all. Yeah. And, you know, it just doesn't make a difference. And this person looks at them and says, it makes a difference for the one or two or three that I do throw back mm-hmm. in. So I'm thinking that's, that's who you are. You're that person on the beach. And if you can only save a few or yes. help a few, then mission accomplished. Oh, I <laughs> say a lot to that analogy regarding, I don't want to miss one opportunity to be on a podcast as a guest I don't want to miss one opportunity to be in a community where they allow me to speak a little bit about my passion because just one, just one person that could hear it and change that, that that's what matters most. So that one or three, it doesn't matter if it's 3000. Great. It makes a difference no matter what the number is. That's what we're all here for. I love that story, Agnes. That's fantastic. Yeah. 
Okay, what haven't I asked you that, and maybe you could just touch on both sides of that coin. Uh, we've got midlife women who they're saying, I don't like corporate anymore. I want to have my own business or they've got the business and they're looking to sell. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want them to think about? I, I would say for the corporate woman that's, you know, a Gen Xer, even maybe even early baby boomer, it's never too late to acquire a business, especially if it is an established one that is currently absentee owned, meaning the baby boomer trained up all the people to just run the show so he could enjoy life with the grandchildren and go on vacations with the family. You can acquire that business. He's ready to sell. It doesn't mean you have to work in it full time. You just have to oversee it and make sure your key employees are doing what he was making sure they were doing. Trust, but always verify. So age has nothing to do with diversifying your wealth for the future. And sometimes your wealth for the future isn't for me, it's for my grandchildren, <laughs> right? And if you want to generate more of that for your grandchildren, that's a beautiful route to go. Uh, and then for the business owners that are baby boomers and they're women, get with certified financial exit planners and start talking with them about preparing your business as best as you can for top dollar and make sure they are credible and certified uh, and they help you navigate the changes that need to be done. Always think about the intangible value. And, and what I mean by that is, do you have a succession plan in place if you do sell? Who are your key people? Because when a buyer comes in, they need to rely on those key people. And if they're up and running and running the show without you there, you're gonna sell your business for a top dollar because that's called intangible value. And that's worth a lot to the business buyer. Don't be the business owner that works 24 seven in the business. You have to get out in order to sell it and let the people run it. That would be my, my message. Okay, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah, please. I may not pronounce this correctly. Jigani? <laughs> gosh you pronounced it right are you funny oh dear lord <laughs> my now younger... tell our listeners <laughs> oh my younger years yes uh, i used to well i always loved to sing my high school days i lived with my father and i you heard me mention that i i walked to high school and he worked full-time and part-time so i never really saw my dad so i lived at high school I found real fast, not having my mom in the picture, that I loved to people please to be loved. So I still struggle with that today, but part of that was singing. And, and you might see it in me, my animation. I just love to talk with people because I want you to feel good because I want you to love me. Do, do you sense that? I'm sure maybe you do, but that was how I was growing up because I didn't have it as a young girl. And I've, I've, I have learned through all these years, now that I'm 56 years old, 
I always was an introvert, but I thought all these years, Agnes, that I really was an extrovert. What I was was an introvert acting as an extrovert, looking for gratification, looking for love, looking to be admired, looking to be seen, looking to be loved. And that's where the singing came from. And I love to tell stories. And God bless me with a voice. It might not have been a Celine Dion or, you know, a Beyonce, but it was a, a voice that could tell a story um, in singing or even just in conversation like you and I are having. I love lyrics to songs. And when I did sing, I would change the lyrics to the point where it meant something to my past. So that's Jagani. It was a, a, a cover band that I sang in and we traveled the, the Midwest um, and we sang a bunch of 80s music and 70s music and, and um, at casinos and weddings and church festivals. And that was a time when uh, it was fun, uh, but I couldn't do it anymore because some of the nights were way too long and late, Agnes. So I need, I'm in bed by 8.30 at night. <laughs> Those days are long gone, but you saw me. I had a wig. That was a wig that I was wearing. So okay. I listened to you also, and I listened are to you ABBA. I listened to your an oh, ABBA cover yes. and a Doobie Brothers cover, and you oh, guys were good. <laughs> you are a doll. I mean, seriously, yeah, I can't wait to share with uh, Alex at Podmatch on what a wonderful host you are, how you study your guests. <laughs> that is phenomenal. You've oh, made me dear. smile. <laughs> okay, where do we find you on the World Wide Web? DebCurtis.com. Easy as that. Just okay. go to DebCurtis.com. Yeah. And as I look over here at the other monitor, just so you don't think I'm ignoring you, um, it looks like you're on social, like really yeah. on social. Uh, LinkedIn is my favorite platform of choice, but I'm on Insta. My handle is at Deb Jojo, J-O-J-O Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S. Okay, that's yeah. great. <laughs> okay, so the website link is always in the show notes. I will be putting all of the links on your page at the website. Thank you. So, You're a doll. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening, or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Leave stars and reviews where you can. They help us grow. So important. I say that every week, but, but just do me a favor. <laughs> and share this episode. Most of us have stories about bias in the workplace. Or does the concept of owning your own business sound attractive? It's work, but it's so rewarding. I've done it several times. If you're in the U.S., call Deb. <laughs> if you're elsewhere, at least look into a program like the Small Business Administration. Deb Curtis, thank you for being my guest today and sharing your story and incentivizing us. Oh, I enjoyed every moment of it. Thank you so much, Agnes, for having me. Thank you. Have a great rest of week. You too.